Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Maura. And this week, as we gear up for Back to Hogwarts season, we'll be discussing the physics of Harry Potter and seeing where we can fill in the gaps of how the Wizarding World works. And to facilitate that discussion, we are actually joined today by my boyfriend, Mark. Welcome to the show, Mark. I don't think you've been on MuggleCast yet. I have not. I have not. Hello, everyone. Hey. Making his MuggleCast debut. I know. Thank you for joining us. Where's my movie trailer at? (laughs) (laughs) Movie trailer at? He expected a movie trailer for his intro to the show. Yep. (laughs) Well, I thought, you know, we could start out like we do with all of our guests by just getting your fandom ID. Let's see. My house is Slytherin. My favorite book, I'd have to say, is Chamber of Secrets, because ironically enough, that was the first one I read. Like, my mom gave me that one. Did she know that was not the first one? She had no idea. She had no (laughs) idea at all. You must have been so confused. Here's the start of this Harry Potter series, The Chamber of Secrets. The whole time I was like, who are these people? (laughs) (laughs) This is terribly written. Nobody's introduced properly. (laughs) Yeah. There's no character development whatsoever. There's no intros. So I was very confused. That's funny. I really like Deathly Hallows part one. Was that the first movie you saw? Your mom was like, this is the first Harry Potter movie. Sorry, I screwed up. That would be hilarious. (laughs) That would be hilarious. Here you go. Spoilers, I guess. My Patronus is an eagle, which uh, is kind of interesting that I'm a Slytherin with an eagle. Patronus is kind of weird, but who am I to argue? And what would you say is your favorite object, magical object? Just because of how many interesting conversations it brings up, probably the time turner. Not because of the consistency of it but just because there's a lot of fun conversations that come from it i mean i'm a sucker for time travel so awesome well getting into things you are a programmer and a game designer um just to get a little bit of background what types of games have you developed i'm a huge uh, horror fan huge fighting game fan i just graduated recently so there's a bunch of games i developed in school projects, one of which was a medieval fighting game. I made a card game that was pretty fun that was on mobile. And yeah, I mean, my main thing is I just really like messing with the physics engine. Like it was so interesting to see how many things the physics engine actually handles when you're designing a game, like something as simple as like gravity that people take for granted all the time is a huge issue when you're coding stuff. Like if you want your character to move a couple units to the right and gravity is not included, it's going to just kind of go haywire. It's going to go up. And I remember the first time I tried to write a a jump script and I didn't put gravity in and my character jumped and just didn't stop. Just kept going. Like (laughs) he was flying basically. Yeah. Like literally he, he jumped in the air and then just was like, all right, bye. My people need me. And I've never, that was it. Like I I basically (laughs) had to crash. I had to close the app and open it again. Speaking of, video games. We have some Hogwarts Legacy stuff to talk about here in a few minutes, but we're obviously all excited for Hogwarts Legacy. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about it. What are your thoughts based on the trailers so far? I think that it looks very interesting. I think it's very ambitious, which excites and scares me because it's really hard to pull off a lot of those things well. Like I can only think of a handful of games that have like been that wide like an open world that big with a main story with a bunch of side missions with like a almost pokemon like animal collector aspect that you can store in like your own custom space kind of like animal crossing but then you can actually battle with them like is a lot like that is a lot going on there so if they nail it it's gonna be great uh if they don't i mean even if they fall short even if the the magical beast aspect isn't great everything else is great then awesome and also one thing that i'm like super excited for is that combat looks amazing like when i thought when i imagine combat when i was reading the book that's what i pictured like just a bunch of random stuff happening combat and spell work i think is something that's always been a little like eh, in the harry potter video game so far so if they nail the spell work especially because that's what 
that's one of the things we all yeah. really want, right? Like a fun duel, like a mm-hmm. duel that feels natural through a game controller. Yes. Like if they nail all that, it's going to be really incredible. Yeah. I just want my character to go around shouting Flipendo. Oh my <laughs> Honestly, gosh. That, that'd be a great Easter egg. That oh, is a yeah. deep cut. <laughs> Quick news item before we get to our main discussion today. There's an update about Hogwarts Legacy. Pre-orders are now open. They opened up pre-orders this past week, and there was a creepy new trailer. We mentioned the Dark Arts a couple minutes ago. The trailer was Dark Arts themed. It looked pretty cool. The The story details were still scant. We don't really know much about what this storyline is, but I just wanted to run through the pricing. So we knew this already. The game's going to be $69.99. This is a, for the standard edition of the game. This is what uh, new uh, AAA titles are typically uh, priced at these days there's a deluxe edition that's going to be $79.99 and this is going to come with a couple of extra digital benefits like a Thestral mount you're going to get a dark arts cosmetic set you're going to get a dark arts battle arena so it looks like you'll just be able to fight for funsies that's pretty cool you're also going to get 72 hours early access to the game this is probably what's going to make me sign up for the deluxe edition though i have to say it feels like you're paying extra to be a beta tester for them because while they are <laughs> testing the game plenty right now they're not, they're going to be fixing most bugs after it gets into the hands of many more people so pay extra and then you can be a little test ride for them great and then you'll also get a uh, hippogriff mount and Felix Felice's potion recipe, which I assume would help you in battle. And then there's a collector's edition. Is everybody sitting down? $300 for the collector's edition. You get all of the above, plus a life-size, a real floating ancient magic wand with a book base. And I float, it floats, I guess, with using um, the, the magic of magnets, I assume. Mm. Um, so that's cool. And then you get a steel case and you get a Kelpie robe in game as well. I'm not buying the collector's edition. I have my muggle cast wand. That's enough for me. I don't need right. a floating ancient magic wand. Is the robe in game? Because yes. if it was an actual robe you can wear, I could kind of see it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no real robe. Sorry. You can go to the Wizarding World theme park and spend like $500 on a robe if you would like one. <laughs> So let's move into our main discussion now. Laura, do you want to kick things off? Yeah. So I thought we could just quickly, Mark, talk about why do we have so many conversations about the intersection of <laughs> physics and Harry Potter? There's a lot of times when uh, you were explaining something to me in the uh, Harry Potter universe or we're going over something or we just have a random thought. And just because of how my mind works, I try to be like, OK, how did that? happen and there's not typically a pretty clear explanation for it and again i'm i read you know as i said i'm not a physicist read a lot of comics and like a lot of comics have some kind of loose like this is how the speed force works in flash even though it's completely fantasy there's still some kind of thing you can extrapolate off of or like these are the infinity stones these are what they do right like and this is how they do what they do for the most part. Um, but a lot of that's kind of open to interpretation in Harry Potter. And it's, you know, magic's huge because you can't, there is not magic, really, spoilers. So you can't really use our rules to be like, oh, obviously because of Newton's so-and-so law, this spell works like this. You can't really do that. So it's kind of like looking for those explanations are kind of where we have a lot of those conversations because it's like, okay, like this dragon can breathe fire. How can it breathe fire? Is there like a a mechanism in the back of its throat that it's like two pieces of flint click together and then like they have a gas thing and then it ignites kind of like a flamethrower? Like, is there a rune there? Is it like a spell they're just inherently born with? Like all that stuff, which is pretty fun to talk about. Yeah. And of course, there's no established law of physics in the Harry Potter world. And because it oftentimes is grounded in the muggle world, we can only assume that it's the law of physics that that we know and understand or at least interact with every Mm -hmm. day just by existing. So part of the conversation that we're going to have today is trying to use the laws of physics as we understand them to explain how some of these things 
might be working. Um, but again, you know, we're obviously asking these questions for fun. But I think Mark and I would also argue that exploring Harry Potter through this lens further enriches the text um, because it just gives us a deeper sense of understanding and and more opportunity for literary analysis. Yeah, absolutely. But just to set the table here, when we say physics, what exactly are we talking about, Laura? I think we should give an explanation for the nine-year-olds listening to the pod and those of us who haven't been in a science class in a while. For or me, those of I, us- I need... I need an explanation. <laughs> yeah, or those of us who got a, a probably like a C or D in science. I never took physics, so hey, oh, me neither, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever read the book in your video back screen, Micah? The Brief History of Time. I have Stephen not. <laughs> it's excellent because he does a really good job of explaining really wonderful space concepts uh, to a layperson. It's good stuff. Well. I'm going to do my best here to explain this. Mark, please keep me honest because I there are probably some nine-year-olds listening to this who have a better understanding of physics than I do, um, <laughs> but I'm going to give it my best shot. So physics is the branch of science concerned with the nature and properties of matter and energy. And the subject matter of physics includes mechanics, heat, light, and other radiation, sound, electricity, magnetism, and the structure of atoms. We obviously will not be getting into all of these aspects today, and we're specifically going to be looking at things like mechanics, mass, and light to try and explain how, from a physics standpoint, these things could work in the wizarding world. Did I get that right, Mark? Is there anything you would add? Oh, no. I mean, just if you're you're doing it like in a sentence uh, explanation, it'd be just it's the study of the things that make up the universe. So all of these things are component of the universe as it exists. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much spot on. So basically, like it'd be if you were looking at a crate full of Legos and that's our universe, it'd be like examining each type of Lego. What are the rules for that Lego? How does that Lego function? You would make a Lego analogy here, and I respect (laughs) it. (laughs) Thank you for explaining that. See, Mark's tool is that he actually understands this. My tool was going to Google. (laughs) When I saw that question in the doc, I was like, Google.com. I wouldn't have graduated without Google, so. Fair. (laughs) One of my most valuable professors. Nine-year-olds, maybe don't listen to that. Don't repeat that one to your parents. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've got three topics to look at today. The first one we're going to look at is the cost of doing magic. And the core question of this is, where does the energy to do magic come from and how does it work? Mark, can you talk about some of the reasons why we have this question? Yeah. So usually when they say they try to talk about that. They talk about uh, it's in their blood, right? Which doing magic and especially some of the the spells they do that literally break the laws of physics, like just completely shatter them. There would have to be some kind of guideline, some kind of like rule to dictate that. Like, is there a recharge rate for stuff? Do, do magicians or not do magicians, do wizards have magic stamina? Is there a mana system like like in a game when you do things and you have like a a resource bar, like an MP bar or whatever, and it goes down the more you do things. And then after time, it slowly builds itself back up like we never really get a clear understanding of how that works. I mean, is the magic being being pulled from their environment? Is it being pulled from them themselves when they said that it's in their blood? Does it mean that it is literally something in their blood stream? Like if you gave a wizard a blood transfusion, would they not have pet magic anymore? Right. Like, is it a lineage thing? Well, the only time I can think of like Harry, for instance, being exhausted after doing spells is like the harder spells, like the Patronus charm. Yeah, that's where you see him really depleted, like his energy has gone down. But that also we're told is because he has to kind of sort through his emotions. Right. So he's hearing, you know, his mother's scream and it's very draining, but not not strictly from his magical reservoir, if you will. It also seems to be because the spell involves a lot of concentration. Same with legitimacy and same with um, the Accio, the summoning spell. I would also argue that Patronus spell is probably more emotionally exhausting. So when we see that exhaustion that you were describing, Eric, 
it was just kind of emotional. So does Harry then have a limitless supply of magic? Like, do all wizards have just the ability to keep going? Yeah. He's also doing it at a much younger age, too. So I wonder Mm. if he would expend less energy as he gets older and how does age play into it, too? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, that's a good point. And you, I mean, you could make the argument that it is purely emotional based, right? Because as you mature, you get more understanding or control over your emotions and your emo- how, how you work, usually, not always. Um, but maybe that emotional maturity can be why some wizards can do more challenging spells. But if it's limitly, if it's literally just limitless, like everybody can just do whatever spell they want, the only thing stopping people is their imagination and i guess their emotional capacity i guess which that still is real vague because at that point like when why are some wizards naturally stronger than others right does it mean that all wizards that are stronger than other wizards are just more emotionally adept if well if you look at somebody like snape so the patronus charm says you need a happy memory you mm-hmm. need a, you need something very happy but we see snape conjure patronus in moments of great um distress almost but he's so collected he's so calm and collected that he probably you know has a little nugget of a happy thought whatever it is doesn't matter what it is he doesn't even think of it he doesn't have to become happy in order to contr- uh, conjure a patronus because he's got that locked in he can just tap into it like that no matter what in the middle of battle he could conjure a patronus whereas somebody like harry really has to you know in year three has to really concentrate on something happy fight the negative thoughts that are coming into his head at all angles like so i just see that as an act of like it's maturity it's exactly like you're saying though like self-control and as you get older your ability to kind of do two things at once in a way um, even though that's been disproven, we can't multitask. But I think that if anybody could, Snape could. It is interesting because we know the Patronus is advanced magic. We know this from the fact that adults are constantly surprised that Harry can do it at such a young age. And a full one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, remember when he's doing his owls, one of the practitioners is like, hey, for some extra points, can you do your Patronus? <laughs> because they were just so impressed by it. On the other hand, too, in Order of the Phoenix, when Dumbledore's army is learning how to cast Patronuses in the Room of Requirement, people are really struggling with it, which makes sense. But then is the argument if you have to have a level of emotional maturity to even be able to broach the topic, does that then suggest that everyone in the Room of Requirement has the right level of emotional maturity to be able to do this. That's what makes it so unknowable. It's so ambiguous. And that's the kind of question that we would dig into because it's like, okay, if there is no physical or biological or whatever actual limiter, it would make sense why wizards and witches just use magic for mundane stuff, like things they could have easily done without magic. Because if you don't have a reservoir and you don't have like a an active balance that's always going down, you don't have to worry about it. You can basically just use it however you want. But if there is some kind of limit, like even with the Patronus, which was a great example, and linking it to emotions is, makes sense because... The Patronus is like the antithesis of a Dementor, right? So like the fact that the Dementor's whole thing is it sucks happiness from you, you beat it by like giving it a bunch of like pure, pure happiness, right? So that that happiness is still coming out of you regardless, whether the Dementor's sucking it out of you or you're just blasting it with it. Oh, so it's a math equation. So maybe it's like if all things being equal, you doing a Patronus kind of puts you in the same or a relative state to you getting that happiness forcibly taken out of you. Cause you still have to that like experience it. Right. Nuts. So maybe and that's- I love that. The, well, the Patronus is not a force of light. I mean, it is in a way, but remember the way that it's described by Lupin is that it's a negative that it's, or that it's a uh, neutral. It's, it's a shield. It's basically just a force that the Dementor can't get anything from. So it's conjured like you're depleted of your happy memory when you like send it out, although you get to keep the memory, but like it does drain you in that way. But to the Dementor, it's it's just like a, a barrier. It's just a buffer. It's not necessarily like it's 
making or sending happy vibes at the Dementor. It's just the Dementor can't penetrate it. All there, right there, there's something lost in the creation of the Patronus, in that the Patronus doesn't then be some kind of force for happiness or good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feed the Dementor. Yeah, and also like if it would be pretty, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to be like Dementors just can't understand something like that, right? Because if they're beings of darkness that take happiness, I would even posit that they're not really taking it because they want happiness it's just what they feed off of but if yeah. de- like i don't think a dementor is capable of actually experiencing happiness no. so it could just be like i don't know what this is this is freaking me out and then they just dip <laughs> yeah. yeah well if you want to get into like really high level the stuff that has been hinted or the stuff that's what i like about the wizarding world is there are like it seems like the author largely doesn't want to explain it, but occasionally you'll get like a really weird excerpt and it's just like in the middle of nowhere, there's an answer for something or a potential answer for something. It's like when Hermione brings up Gamp's law, it's like, oh, wait, if that exists in universe, then some wizard somewhere has really actually tried to understand the world around them and was leagues above everyone else that's just doing magic for like mundane tasks but the thing that i'm thinking of now because we're talking about dementors is the suggestion that they might have been created by a wizard oh that's interesting his name is like it's something the awful he like founded azkaban or something and they think that he like might have created the first dementor but like if you think about the level of magic needed to do that and the fact that the dementors are probably like breeding and capable of breeding to, to actually create something that is so anti force for good would require a huge knowledge of magic that we just don't see anyone really short of Dumbledore or Voldemort performing. I think we've established that we know for a fact that there are certain aspects of magic that do sap the caster of energy, right? We know it's true of the Patronus. We know that with unforgivable curses, you have to mean it So that implies that there is some transferal of energy that allows those spells to sort of function at their highest level. So my thought here is like, maybe most day-to-day spells don't cost very much. Maybe that's what this means. There's only a special set of spells that actually deplete your energy, cost you something, and then require you to either rest or eat chocolate, for example, we see in book three, to be able to regain your energy. Right. Because it's like, what are you doing? If you're making a feather float, that's not going to cost a lot of energy because it's a very simple task. If you're trying to push Dementors away from you, that's emotionally, physically exhausting. It's like if you're at the gym and you're picking up a five pound weight or a 50 pound weight, Mm. one of them is going to take more energy than the other. I do think that all spells should absolutely cost something. It doesn't seem fair that wizards can just like do whatever spells they want and there's no depletion there. On the other hand, I do not want this in the video game because most people agree (laughs) that uh, weapon breakdowns in Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild are very frustrating. Yes. The Master Sword, too, that loses energy. Yeah, that Screw was that. Yeah, that wasn't great. That wasn't great. <laughs> but also, like, I mean, even if it's not, like, I would be fine if there's just a stamina bar, right? Because that incentivizes you to level up. Like, if there's a bar where it's like you can do 10 little spells or three big spells before your energy needs to recharge, at least then it's like, okay, you're at level 25 now. Now you have 80 extra magic points. Or whatever. So that would kind of help you scale throughout the game versus you start the game pretty much being able to do like spam a bunch of spells. Because like you're right, 50 pounds versus five pounds is a huge difference. But if you're lifting 50 pounds once versus five pounds 200 times, Ooh, that's yeah. still going to be like you're like there's no way you could do that. Right. Like, well, I I can. But yeah, oh, go of ahead. course, of course. <laughs> yeah. for, for mere for mere mortals, you can't <laughs> do, do stuff like that. So. That's kind of where we have this conversation a lot, because I'm like, if literally the only thing stopping these kids, like an, a, a whole school full of kids practicing magic, there should be spells going off everywhere constantly at all times. Because like if you give a kid a new toy, you hear that all the time, right? Like you give a kid a toy that makes any kind of noise or 
I mean, I mean, look at look at kids nowadays with with uh, tablets. Throwing that's the thing all the time. So if you told a kid like, hey, by the way, you can do magic now. This is a safe place to do magic, and it doesn't cost anything. There's no way that they can exhaust themselves unless they're whipping out the big guns. Like, yeah, like there should be like if it's just imagination and like who has a better imagination than kids. So these kids should be pumping out some of the most ridiculous spells anybody's ever seen because like adults imaginations nothing compared to a kid and i think on that note it's really interesting to think about sort of how are spells created where do they come from are they discovered it seems like that might be part of this and i think a really good example to look at here is lockhart Mm -hmm. he is obviously not an example of a great wizard but he is an adult who manages to mess up magic a lot And he does inadvertent things like removing the bones in Harry's arm instead of healing it. So if a full grown adult is making these kinds of mistakes, you have to imagine there are a ton of hijinks going on off screen at Hogwarts that we just don't see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, this is one of my biggest like questions, really, because if you can you imagine, especially with how many like just casual casual wizard duels there are around the school like in fact there's a class where you have to do it right can you imagine how terrifying it would be because they've already established that spells like you can have inadvertent effects if you mess up a spell and they've already proven that wizards can make new spells like snake create a spell right so like imagine how many spells witches and wizards have that they just keep in their back pocket like huh like imagine Lockhart, right imagine if he did that and he removed the bones but it was somebody who like didn't tell anybody and no one saw it and Lockhart's about to duel somebody and it's like oh Voldemort did you make a giant you know water snake that's cool I guess your bones are gone the fight's over that's it like <laughs> like that's it like she's he's a puddle of of muscle and you know skin on the ground like trying to hiss very very pitifully like that's that's it it's a wrap (laughs) can you imagine and that's just one example of doing getting one thing wrong that's pretty simple like can you imagine it's like all right you tried to use you know lumos and now instead of bringing light you accidentally like blinded your friend or something so now you have a spell that just blinds people like and and they never tell anybody because why would you why would you like show your hand like so that's like walking in to a duel and both parties have an outrageous amount of like trap cards just set ready to go like it's (laughs) just like oh you did that oh yeah well here's this spell you've never seen before here's this spell you've never seen before it seems very unfair Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good point even like an accessible even just thinking about this, the spells that the students use pretty early on, and this might be a video game thing, but Lumos Solem, which is the solar light. Yeah. Uh, you could blind somebody if they look in, if you oh, look directly yeah. in the sun, you get blinded. Like that's, that's like playing with a laser pointer mm-hmm. right there. Like that's yeah. insane. You could just blind everyone. Or like in the movies, they went Lumos Maxima. Oh, yeah. Lumos wasn't enough. We had to add Maxima to it to make it really bright. <laughs> I guess the author and just like wizarding a society, maybe there's some unspoken agreement, though, of course, Voldemort wouldn't follow it, that you can't have this like collection of spells hiding in your back pocket to unfairly beat somebody else. You know what I mean? It's like it's almost like these are unforgivable curses in that they're so unfair. Removing the bones remove you know destroying somebody's wand i don't know honestly i wouldn't be surprised like what eric was saying earlier i wouldn't be surprised if dementors were made this way by accident like somebody was trying to do like what if somebody was trying to do a patronus and they were trying to think of a happy memory but they just didn't have any so instead of a patronus that came out and they're just like hmm there's this shadowy figure that saps the happiness out of people because it came from somebody who never experienced it you know what i mean like there you go. That's and dark. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then Dementors were just around. Like, who knows what kind of crazy stuff could happen with people accidentally altering spells? You know, like, again, I don't know about you, but losing all my bones sounds terrible. Like, I would take, all, like, being flung across the room, whatever, right? Like, all those spells that just kind of, like, forcibly push you 
and you're like, oh man, you really got me. It's like, you got off so easy. Like you have no idea <laughs> what could happen to you. As far as people making spells, I always got the sense that it was kind of a push and pull between making or creating a spell and discovering a spell. Like you see Snape's notes in his notebook. Like he's trying to figure out what the incantation will be to for the spell to turn out and do what it is that it does. So there's there's really a, a discovery process. Maybe like all spells that are intentional magic all exist and wizards just don't know them or haven't written them all down. Like everything that it is possible to do with magic, there's a finite number of things, but it's also it's also infinite. Um, but what wizards know is like one percent. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be just like it'd be just like physics, right? Like physics exists right. already. Like scientists don't really make physics. They just are like, "Oh, it looks like when we look at these things this way or observe these particles in this specific thing." Right. Well, and it's like the rules change. You you we we have rules that really are just like they exist until they're contradicted. And then we have to come up with a whole new governing system of physics to understand or explain like how light works, which is a doozy. It's it's a real doozy. Gravity is still a theory, technically, right? Like right. we know it exists and we know how it works, but we don't know a lot about it still. Right. Well, I guess my question would be with the example of Snape then, what source is he connecting with as he's doing those incantations to create Sectum Sempra? Is there like a connection then between language and some other higher entity that exists? Some source energy? Yeah, here, here's how I think of it. Uh, so a wand, right, channels the existing magic into a, a fine point and really allows you to do spells because it's pulling from, like, say, for instance, an energy field, whether it's out in the universe like the Force or whether it's within you because you're a magical being, your wand hones and shapes that magic to allow you to do spells. Words are the same way. The incantation part of magic is your body's way of channeling meaning into your spell. So because the words mean something to you, or at one point in history, when people spoke Latin every day, uh, the words meant something to them. The finding of a spell or the shouting of an incantation is another way of channeling meaning into magic and, cre and creating something to happen. That's kind of the way I see it. It's like the incantation part of a spell is just as important as the wand because it hones, it specifies the way in which your magical force is going to be coming out of you. So do you think it's just like trial and error, kind of like the way we do scientific discoveries all the time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they taught the scientific me method at Hogwarts because it's the same. I mean, you, you make a hypothesis, right? You try to do the thing you're trying to do. You observe the results. You adjust your hypothesis and you try again, right? So like, and think about how many discoveries in physics and science in our world are discovered intentionally and then are discovered by accident. So yeah. I assume the same thing happens with magic. There are plenty, there are probably plenty of spells that were accidental and they are like derivatives of spells that already exist of somebody being like, yeah, I tried to do, you know, Accio, but I accidentally made it push away from me instead. Right. And now there's a spell that just forcibly pushes things away from you. Yeah, like Depulso, I think it is. Yeah. Like um, I wouldn't be surprised if those both were discovered, like one was discovered and then one was discovered afterwards as like a whoops i messed up but hey that's kind of cool and then they just refined it to make it do what they wanted versus somebody being like i specifically want a spell to turn this water into chocolate pudding that's what i really want and man they, that sounds great right and they just keep <laughs> on trying to do it over and over and over until they keep on you know just trial and er error until they get it right so i assume both happens can you imagine being Snape and coming and like developing Sectum Semper and being happy with the result? Like that's what I wanted to do. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> He's like, man, I'm man, I'm good. Well, <laughs> still got it. None of us has wands that we can experiment with still in this way. It. But sorry, I was just practicing my Snape. It's very good. Oh, okay, yeah. I did it. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> I did it. I'm just holding my nose. And <laughs> that's my Snape. I think that's that's pretty on on the nose if you will <laughs> um well looking at our next topic i think this one's going to be fun for us we're looking at food and evanesco so the question <laughs> that we have uh -oh. here the two opposites here yeah is uh where does food come from and where does beep 
go. Uh huh. Literal and metaphorical, because we know the history of how Evanesco was used in the wizarding world pre, you know, modern plumbing. But also you can use the same spell to disappear a lot of things. Um, Mark, why do we ask this question? Well, there is a lot of uh, a lot of leeway um, you can give uh, something when it comes to magic. But usually one of the main things that stay pretty rock solid in most fiction is well not most fiction but most systems as it is is you can't make something from nothing and you can't return something to nothing right like and is from the conservation of uh mass and energy you can't just like every it has to be transferred some way into the system right like if you burn a piece of paper that piece of paper is not gone, right? It turned into ash. The mass that it lost from turning into ash gets tra- transformed into heat and light. Carbon. Yeah, all that, all all those reactions happen when it's being transferred to a different state. But if you put a piece of paper in something and it just stopped existing, that couldn't work because that that mass and energy would have to go somewhere. Same thing with making something. You couldn't make something just appear without taking that mass or energy from something. So one reason we're asking this is because of what we see in the Great Hall. I assume the food just appears. And I think there's some dialogue in the books about how the house elves are making it downstairs. But then there's also questions about maybe like looking at the burrow. Like, where does that food come from? Is that whipped up? Is is Molly or Arthur going grocery shopping? Are they farming all the food? I think the simplest answer to all of this is that you know, the food is still being farmed. We just don't hear about it. Yeah. And we do get some explanation about this in the book. Um, I think Eric brought it up earlier. We hear a little bit about Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration when Hermione is explaining to Ron how food is made. Um, She says, your mother can't produce food out of thin air. No one can. Food is the first of the five principal exceptions to Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration. It's impossible to make good food out of nothing. You can summon it if you know where it is. You can transform it. And you can increase the quantity if you've already got some. And this is where me and Mark have some questions. Because if you can't produce food out of thin air, that feels to be in conflict with the statement that you can increase the quantity of something. Um, Because on its face, you can't increase the quantity of something and maintain the same properties, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if I if I ate if I ordered a pizza and I ate the whole pizza except for one slice and then I used a spell to make seven slices of pizza reappear unless that whole pizza pie now has the same nutritional value as one slice of pizza that pizza literally came from nowhere like to you you wouldn't know that it got multiplied by one piece of pizza right you would just see a new pizza and you're like where did this come from right so the the statement that if you have something you can make more of it contradicts with you can't like when they were like you can't make something out of nothing i was like okay i'm on board that sounds good and then it's like but if you have something you can make more of it and it's like but that is literally making something from nothing like if you're making a new thing appear and it has the same like if you eat it and you get the same nutritional properties then that's the same it'd be one thing if you ate it and it didn't taste great and it didn't really fill you up because you're basically eating an eighth of one slice of pizza. I had a dark thought about this. I was thinking maybe this is one why Ron was so hungry mm-hmm. <laughs> the entire time they were on their camping trip because maybe this is what they're having to do to eat. They're having to increase quantities of food. So it seems like they're eating, you know, let's say it's a loaf of bread. Let's say they take Hermione takes one loaf of bread and transfigures it into three loaves of bread, but those three loaves are actually representative of the nutritional value of the one original. The one loaf, Mm -hmm. yeah. But then I was like, Ron is hungry through the entire series. He's a grown boy. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of like the economic struggles that the Weasleys face, and I'm wondering if there are times where in order to 
stretch their money as far as they can if Molly is having to increase quantities of food. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that could definitely be a thing. Like, that makes perfect sense. The only thing I will say, though, is there are instances of people doing the same, like McGonagall, when she has the tray of sandwiches that just keeps on replenishing itself. It's like, so are those sandwiches depreciating in nutritional value or are those sandwiches being pulled from somewhere? Like, are the elves in the basement making all these sandwiches nonstop and they're just like teleporting them to the plate? As they're being made, right? Like that would make sense. That's what I would assume. But honestly, the that that assumption is honestly my main assumption for food in general in the Harry Potter universe. Cause it makes way more sense to just say, if the food maintains its nutritional value, it's just coming from somewhere. Like if Harry's like, I want a sandwich and just waves his wand and a sandwich appears, there's some poor soul in the world who was about to take a bite out of a sandwich and it just popped out of their hand. <laughs> you know, like that would make more sense to me because it's like, if either that, either the food that you want teleports to you already prepared as you want it and like you saying, I want a sandwich is essentially you putting out a Google search into the ether that is magic and saying, these are my search criteria. This is what I want. And it just finds you that somewhere in the world and brings it to you. Or the other, uh, a, a less clean version of this would be when you say, I want a, a burger, right? It would go and find wheat, take that wheat out of the field that it was in it finds the meat somewhere in a butchered shop or something and like finds all the components of what makes the thing you want. And as it's getting sent to you, it's being prepared as you would like it, right? Like you could do that, but as, as long as it's coming from somewhere, that's the main thing. Cause if it's just appearing out of nowhere, then it would be less nutritious the more you make. And just like Laura stated with the economic aspect, that that could be a consideration too. Maybe the more the families that are a little bit more sketch, or you know, like the like the Malfoys, maybe they just do take food from people. Cause why wouldn't they? They're like, nah, we don't care. We'll just take food from muggles, right? They'll they'll think that they're being haunted or something. Or those are why there are so many conspiracy theories, because they're like, My sandwich just disappeared from my my hand. It's aliens, you know? Like I could totally see a whole thing like that playing out but like maybe people like you know molly who are also aren't you know well off financially just have the moral stance like i'm not going to take food from people because it would be you know devastating if somebody took food from me and my family this made me think though there is no grocery store in diagon alley yeah i like to think there's a a lovely farm maybe somewhere near diagon alley or somewhere i mean i think we kind of saw it actually in in this in this hogwarts legacy asmr video there was some farming going on there oh yeah so i think they have some nice farms where they get all their food from and then the house elves go and pick it up and then they're making sandwiches all day in the kitchen and transferring those up i would also think that they have a sense of how much food they need to make for the kids uh uh, you know, just with the school being around for as long as it has been, they have some data on that. But Hufflepuff Teach is actually bringing up a good point, too, in our Discord. He said the magical community could actually help with muggle food waste from the restaurant industry with how much food is still good to eat but gets thrown out anyway. Food waste is a huge issue in the muggle world. So much food is wasted, not just at restaurants, but at home, right? Think of all yeah. the food we throw out when we're full or whatever else. Imagine a scenario where wizards were quietly <laughs> maybe pulling food out of the trash cans isn't the best way to do but it cleansing but... it you could magically cleanse it because the food still yeah. exists or you could just break it right. down right if, if you broke it down to its core components you know like then at least that would explain yeah like if yeah that's then that's I where like the nutrition is coming from like if it's if they're literally taking the food people don't eat and discard and there's a spell that take like bread it like breaks it down to all of its molecular components and it's just kind of waiting in the ether there waiting until a wizard uses a spell that needs bread or those components to make like let me say somebody really wants a, a burrito right and they want that the the wheat like maybe that's what it pulls from because if that's the case then yeah that would explain some of the nutritional discrepancies like with that sandwich plate because honestly people would be pounding those sandwiches if it was only one sandwich multiplied 50 times yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Court in our Discord 
brings up a good point. Um, they say we, they eat a lot at Hogwarts. I wonder if it's a both and situation where the elves are making a ton of food, but also multiplying some of it to justify the large quantities that are being sent up to the Great Hall all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we we do know that there is some kind of <laughs> like grocery store. We know, for example, in Order of the Phoenix, we see Molly summoning ingredients out of the pantry. So they clearly got that from somewhere. We just don't know where. Yes. And also uh, moving to the... Um the disappearing right because we pretty much talk, i mean basically all this food stuff is essentially summoning right where you're, you're summoning the food either quote unquote out of nowhere or multiplying it right or calling it from another location and like imagine evanesco right like the fact that you can just wave your wand and something goes away and you're just deleting it from the universe again, is a huge no-no because that energy has to go somewhere the same way that energy had to come from somewhere. Right. As a reminder, Evanesco is the vanishing spell, and it is famously known for vanishing poo in medieval times before they had modern plumbing. Thank you, Pottermore. Yeah, but it can be used to vanish animate and inanimate objects into nothing, which is to say everything. And Mark, the issue here is, again, mass can neither be created nor destroyed. Stuff has to go somewhere when you vanish it. You can't say that it becomes everything and nothing. But wait, you can, though. That's the Ravenclaw doorknocker riddle, right? That it, where do <laughs> vanished objects go? If it goes into everything, then I'm thinking it is some kind of transmutation. It's becoming energy. You've taken matter and and just turned it into like light or something that is a good outcome but don't you think evanesco might just transfer it to like a landfill and if it's if and that's the thing if it's teleportation that means there's a poop mountain somewhere just (laughs) full of poop well like with a real (laughs) landfill they'll cover it up with dirt so you can't smell it yeah and why why would a why would a younger person be able to do the same spell as an adult person have it like does it go to the same it gets automatically sorted (laughs) single stream system but like what system is doing the sorting? What sentient, you know, catalog of wheat products and the poo master. Wait, you, <laughs> you know, they're making the house elves do this, too. Oh, yeah. Something that I wanted to say at this point is if you think about um, disapparation and apparition, that is very much a, a teleport um, kind of effect. But it's associated uh, in the books anyway with a crack. There is a sound there's and and that is. Uh, I think the, the breaking of the sound barrier, like a cracking of a whip, right? Um, and there's also this vacuum. There would be a gust of air where a person was standing and is no longer standing. The air would have to rush to fill that gap, that person-sized gap. And so is that why people who are disappearing, it comes with a crack? Is that J.K. Rowling's way of saying like, okay, something physic-wise is being affected here? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a lot there's a lot that apparition could be. I mean, if it's teleportation and you're ripping the fabric of space time and connecting two points, it may not even be them moving to a new place. It may be you making their two destinations the same for a split second, right? Like kind of like wormhole travel. Like they just are like their body. Like, I mean, honestly, physics when you get into the real crazy stuff like metaphysics theoretical astrophysics like all that stuff it's basically magic like if you read some of the stuff of what happens to a particle when it approaches light speed it's crazy like it's both big it's like if you took a particle and shot it through a barn door right and it's going through a barn it could be bigger than the barn But at a point, you could fit both ends of that particle in the barn because it's moving at light speed, like the space of it gets starts getting wonky, right? Like gravity, if gravity is dense enough, messes with light. There's a bunch of weird things that happen. So if a wizard's moving at light speed to a position, there'd be a lot of weird things happening that we would have no idea about. So like, yeah, it could just be the like not the universe folding in on itself making both points the same or them just moving so fast that it looks like they're teleporting because at light speed time is stopped 
like time does not move at light speed so it they could technically time freeze time and just appear in the new place now i think i understand how those wizards can get in the wall in fantastic beasts 3 (laughs) (laughs) we could have a whole other episode because mark was so frustrated by that oh Something that I thought was interesting when we were looking into Evanesco is the realization that apparently living things can be vanished as well. And Mark, you, you were doing some reading and brought up the fact that Hermione literally vanishes a kitten in Order of the Phoenix. And before that, when you're reading about the kids vanishing snails and invertebrates, there's not as much of an emotional connection. But when they get to the point where they're vanishing mammals, that starts to raise questions like, wait, where are they going? If Professor McGonagall, we know that she says that they are vanished into non-being. And that is, I mean, the literal definition of non-being is the state of not being and non-existence. So that implies that this kitten is dead, but also doesn't exist. And Mark actually found that in which mobile game was it? from Portkey Games, Mark, where... Oh, man, it was... Hogwarts uh, Mystery? It might have been Hogwarts Mystery. Winifred Warrington. Yeah, she was accidentally vanished and disappeared for a couple of years. And this is from official, like, Warner Brothers Wizarding World games. It was Magic Awakened. I hate all this extra quote-unquote canon that they're adding through the video games, but... I know. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it even in the canon proper, like... That cat yeah. is gone. There is a lot to unpack there because if you have a spell that you can just make somebody not exist anymore, and if that's actually what it's doing, because this the statement of non-being, I did some research in that too, and I think in Taoism and Taoism, non-being is referred to as like a, a empty cup. Right. Like an empty cup is a thing. It is a physical thing. But the valuable part of an empty cup is the fact that it's empty. Right. Like its emptiness is the thing that has meaning, which I get that. But in this sense, it doesn't really apply because they're not it's not like they're shifting to a different state, but they're just not existing anymore. But the thing that I find interesting is what if it's not they're shifting to another state or they're not existing anymore, but if they are literally getting put like in a pocket dimension like they're just being put in another dimension for a while and even things some things that are summoned maybe they the things that are summoned are things that are just existing in a pocket dimension because we'd already established that dimensions like different dimensions and planes of existence exist in harry potter world right well this also gets back to what i was saying earlier like or what we were saying earlier it's like some things are just unfair the Mm -hmm. fact that you can vanish somebody is just unfair Uh, just a few weeks ago we were talking about graham montag and how the weasley twins made him vanish and basically tortured him and he had he was hospitalized after this because they put him away into a limbo state through the vanishing cabinet. And that kind of speaks to the moral implications of things, right? If there are unforgivable curses and it's a curse that literally like deletes somebody's soul, like why go go why go all through through that effort where you could just vanish them? Like isn't it the same end product? I mean, not the same end product exactly, but it it gets the job done, right? Like that's basically and especially since people can be vanished, like that's I mean, what is that? You know, what does that mean? Yeah. And if a sentient person who can do magic is vanished, can they unvanish themselves? Can they get themselves out of it? It reminds me of how in cars, trunks normally have like an escape latch within the trunk. So you can't trap somebody inside. They can get out themselves. I'm not going to lie. When you said cars, I thought you were talking about the Pixar movie. I was like, I I was like, like, where's this going to (laughs) go? Because that's a whole physics conversation. I kidnapped Micah once and threw him in the back of my trunk and he got out really quick. I was really disappointed. (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) Out of all these, it kind of seems like the other dimension explanation is the cleanest one because Again, like we already know pictures kind of exist in a different plane, like different pictures can interact with each other. Like there is a sense of distance, even though it's different than our world between pictures, like they have to travel to other places to interact with other occupants of a painting. Right. Yeah. 
if that exists in the the all star scene where you know when Laylee put the that poor dude in the wall, like he was essentially like wall art, and he couldn't get out. He was just trapped in some different wall dimension. So if wizards and witches can just casually puts people in a different dimension and that dude was stuck there until another wizard on the outside waved his wand and he came out right so like if you can just trap somebody in a limbo state like that and they're stuck in another dimension why does azkaban exist why are you just putting (laughs) people in this dimension like you should just have a bad dude's book and you just put people in that and there's just a hard binded book that is all the worst of the worst just sitting in there there are pictures you can just flip through on each page like that would make more sense but isn't that the plot of superman 3 oh man (laughs) (laughs) yes it is don't even get him started um i you know i do have a question because as we've established there is clearly at least one other dimension the picture dimension right so if we're thinking about where are things disappearing to, we know wizards don't have the best history of being kind to other people's environments. Think about the 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 lake, for example, on the Hogwarts grounds. We know that that's where the plumbing empties out, for example. They know that there are mermaids and the giant squid living there, but they're like, ah, we'll just like flush the poo down there. I wonder if with Evanesco if it's possible that some of these things are being transported to the picture realm, to that dimension. And that's why maybe some of these portraits are so grumpy because they're like, stop sending your bleep here. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And honestly, like, imagine if it doesn't stop there, right? Because if there's a picture dimension, who knows how many other dimensions there are, right? Like, what if there's a trash dimension? What if there's just a poor dimension where there's just a portal open in the sky that random stuff is just falling through. And people are like, what is that? Like, they just, it's just been like that for, you know, centuries. And they're like, oh, that's kittens falling from the sky. Right. It's like, oh, that's, that's trash. Now I'm thinking of, doesn't that happen in Loki where there's like this huge dump of things that are being disappeared or like, oh yeah, the pruned. uh, Yeah. Yeah. The pruned objects. That's, that's, that's kind of where I went to. Or with cloudy with a chance of meatballs. That's it. Just food falling from the sky. (laughs) Definitely. Well, if you think about portraits real quick, anything you paint can be made uh, to be a world or existence. So if you paint a ballroom and there's a couple of people in it, you're still like creating something out of nothing by committing it to your art and then doing whatever you have to do to make it into a portrait world. You are creating pretty much anything you can paint. You can turn into like a room that people inhabit. Um, it's kind of nuts and it is creating something out of nothing. And also even with that, right? Like that's another thing where if you put somebody in the picture dimension, are they experiencing that dimension as if they're natively part of that dimension? Like if I got put into a picture dimension, does everything look like it's painted to me or does everything look normal? Right? Like, is that, how does that work? And even with that, like it, it may be that they're creating something out of nothing, which we already established. That's a big no-no. But if you were to try to figure out a way to make it work somehow, like the parallel dimensions theory in a theoretical physics, right? There's technically a dimension. There's there are infinite amount of them. So if it's infinity, anything you draw technically already exists in a parallel dimension. You're just kind of making a bridge to that thing. Right. So like you if by that logic, you drawing you painting a picture, wouldn't you wouldn't be you like say, like, OK, I want to paint a picture of like the movie Cars where I can talk to cars with, you know, eyes in their headlights. Right. You drawing a picture of that wouldn't be you creating that dimension. It would be you making a bridge to one out of infinite dimensions where that already exists, because if it's infinite, then everything technically already exists to some degree. Yeah, it's kind of like the creation of spells that we were talking about a few minutes, right? Like you're not actually making something new. You're just discovering something that was previously undiscovered. Yeah, like physics exists, right? We don't just because we're finding it doesn't mean that it didn't already exist. Like if you 
you know, find a fossil. I'm glad that all the portraits at Hogwarts are uh, realist paintings and not abstract because I'd hate to think what would happen oh if uh, abstract art existed <laughs> oh, in the wizarding world. <laughs> you see like these sentient paint blobs coming at you. Like a Salvador Dali painting, for example. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, like brought to life? No, that's that's horrifying. What was the one with the screen, the yell? What's it called? The the person yeah, the doing scream. this? The McCulkin? Oh. McCulkin. Can you <laughs> imagine... Scream. Being put in that, like, that is nightmare fuel. <laughs> Even just walking through it on my way to find my friend and hang out with her. The fat lady wandering through uh, all, like, the expressionists. And, right. Yeah. And who knows, like, what the what the qualification is. Like, what if somebody just did a stick drawing and you walk in and it's just a stick world with terrifying stick people walking around and you're like, nope, nope, I'm, I am out of this. Like, what's the consistency? I think at a certain point, you know, when building this world, the author thought, wouldn't that be cool if, and it's not... It's not the author's job. It's not really even our job to be like, how does that work? But it's fun as a thought experiment. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know that this, you know, has maybe raised a lot of questions for people, but hopefully we were able to posit some potential answers for why some of these things work in the wizarding world. You can obviously take this discussion to the nth degree, and we definitely want to hear from y'all. Um, so if you have feedback, please write in. And I think Andrew is going to tell you how you can do that. Yeah. So, of course, MuggleCast at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the Voice Memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can call us, 19203Muggle, which is 19203684453. Thanks, Mark, for coming on and sharing all your physics wisdom with us. Yeah, thanks. Anytime, anytime. I feel like we leveled up today. Yeah. I definitely feel like I learned something. I could listen to Mark talk for hours, so we're going to have to have him back. Uh, you know what's funny, Micah? People say the same thing about you. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, same to you, buddy. Same to you. We're going to branch off and start our own podcast. Ooh, I like that. Smooth sounds from Mike and Marka. <laughs> Micah and Mark. Mike that, and, yeah. Mike, just switch it up. The Marka show. There you go. There you go. I would listen. Eminem. Oh, perfect. And now we know what happens in uh, Laura and Mark's apartment on weekend nights. These are the conversations yeah. you can expect. So we're all planning our sleepovers now. No, it's, <laughs> it's real. You just got a real life glimpse into our lives. <laughs> Coming up in bonus MuggleCast today, we'll actually extend this discussion today. Right, Laura? What can they expect over on our Patreon in bonus MuggleCast? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about some of our favorite magical objects and asking the question, how could physics explain some of these magical items? We're going to be talking about the invisibility cloak, time turners, and the deluminator, and trying to answer the question, how could physics possibly explain why the Deluminator seems to have some kind of pocket dimension. Sounds good. So that'll be at patreon.com slash MuggleCast this week. Sometimes we release extended discussions on there or behind the scenes chats on our Patreon. We like to open up more behind the scenes. Next week on the show, another super fun and interesting discussion. We are going to build our own Hogwarts lessons. This was at least partly inspired by one of our listeners. The Silent Geek suggested this. We're just warming up for a new term at Hogwarts, and uh, this is all before we return to chapter by chapter, which we'll be kicking off a week or two later. We're planning lots of fun little mini segments for chapter by chapter, too. I was having a lot of fun coming up with names for these segments the other day, so excited to finalize all of that. Lots of fun stuff coming up on MuggleCast. But before then, it's time for another round of Quizage. Last week's question, what did the muggle, Mr. Roberts, say to the Weasley family as they left the Quidditch World Cup? He said, Merry Christmas. And of course, it was like July. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that poor muggle. His memory is never going to be the same. Congrats to those who submitted the correct answer, including Ryan, Caleb, Mrs. Breen, Fred the Harry Potter frog, my cat has a sailor leash, Kaladin Stormblast, Sir King of Kings, Dumbledore is gay, but it's actually a publicity stunt.com. Whoa. Death Eater, Cult Member 7, Tom Holland likes Harry Potter, but not more than me, and Hufflepuffing along, trying to spot the official portkey, and Peggy. Okay, next week's question. In year four, what does Ron smush in anger 
after Draco taunts him about having inside ministry information regarding the Triwizard Tournament. So another Goblet of Fire question. Submit your answer to us via the form on MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash quizich. A couple other reminders. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if they allow you to. Thank you to everybody who leaves reviews. We see them steadily coming in and they're really fun to read. So thank you, everyone for your support and however you support the show. And uh, speaking of supporting the show, we would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast and you'll get bonus MuggleCast installments, access to our recording studio, our planning docs, lots of other fun benefits all available. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We couldn't do this without you. So thanks for your support. And also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Mark. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.